Generally speaking, almost always, you'd come into contact with individuals who were at a pinnacle, a peak moment of their corporate journeys, interacting with CEOs, CFOs, boards, and chairpeople. In terms of leadership characteristics, showing good judgment in times of crisis or opportunity. I mean, that was, I think, really very, very important for me. And also, you know, things like always being accountable. Things like, why do you get the second deal? You get the second deal and the third deal because you showed your true colors in the first deal. Not only got a good outcome, not the, the outcome only, but it's the way you journeyed to that outcome in partnership. And it's those kinds of insights that I, I certainly uh, took with me. That's how success happens. From Entrepreneur Magazine, my name is Robert Tuckman. I self-funded, built up, and eventually sold two businesses to major players in the sports and entertainment industry. And I am fascinated by other entrepreneurial minds and what drives high-achieving people. So on this podcast, we're going to learn what they've learned and what it takes to really succeed. Adam Greenblatt is the CEO of BetMGM, a sports betting and gaming entertainment company leading the way in the online betting space. Founded in 2018, BetMGM is a joint venture between MGM Resorts and Entain. Adam was previously the Director of Corporate Development and Strategy at Entain and helped actually create BetMGM during his time in the role. He was then tapped to lead the venture, and he's never looked back. He has guided BetMGM to one of the premier companies in the entire space. More from our guest, but first, a word from our sponsors. This episode of How Success Happens is being presented by State Farm. Being a small business owner can be so fulfilling, rewarding, and let's be honest, a little scary from time to time. Doing your own thing and being your own boss is great, but sometimes it can make you feel like you're all alone, especially when things aren't going great. Well, the folks at State Farm want you to know you're not alone. State Farm has thousands of agents who are small business owners too, so they know what it takes to protect everything you've worked so hard for. State Farm has an assortment of insurance policies for small businesses that can be tailored to your needs So whether you're a hairstylist, an electrician, or a florist, State Farm agents are ready to help. Learn more and find an agent today at statefarm.com slash small business. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. On this episode of How Success Happens, I sat down with Adam to discuss the beginnings of BetMGM, the successes, and the evolution of technology in the space. I started, though, by asking Adam about his biggest influence growing up in Cape Town, South Africa. Wow, what a great question to start. Uh, <laughs> Sorry to get sure. into it. <laughs> um, there absolutely were. You know, my, my father was a, a big influence. I, I lost him too young. He died of a heart attack at 55, extremely overweight, So, which is why I'm such a <laughs> you know, scarecrow of a, of a man. It's fear. Fear is one, what a magnificent uh, motivator is old fear. But no, certainly his philosophies around business, he was an entrepreneur himself, were certainly formative 
was always focused on the importance of hard work, was always focused on also having, you know, doing business in South Africa. It's a manufacturing business, having to interface with those of higher education and those who were less fortunate or less interested and being able to interact in a, in a, an authentic way, in a respectful way, regardless of, of that was another key message and also something we observed, the importance of loyalty, the importance of honesty, you know, the, the usual things that would generally aspire to. Everyone will nod, but in life, you don't see it often enough. Certainly in corporate life, we don't see it often enough. Do you think witnessing and seeing your father and how he had to handle himself, you talk about having to deal with people with a higher education, was that something that drove you inside to make sure that you could put yourself in a position because you were fortunate enough seeing from him how he did it, that you were going to make sure that that didn't happen to you? I was very keen to feel part of the world. You know, there was always a message being a, a big fish in a small pond is one thing, but can you swim in the big pond? Can you swim in the sea? And that was always a, a question left unanswered in his life. But certainly they were aspirational. My parents were aspirational for all, all three kids. And so I wanted to... Try. So uh, leaving Cape Town, I, I studied in, in Cape Town. It was the best business degree that was available then. And as soon as I could, it was 22 years old, left to left for London. And partly was was pull. The big wide world is waiting. Partly push, if I'm honest. You know, Cape Town, uh, the social environment, the professional environment is small. And I needed I needed to not be Adam Greenblatt that everyone knew from from five years old and <laughs> knew what car I drove. And, you know, totally. I just needed to be myself, anonymous and prove myself in a, in, in a new environment, which is which is what I, I set off to do. So you graduate. I assume the minute you do, you're ready to roll. You head to you head to London. What was that like just landing there coming from South Africa? And like you said, this tiny community into one of the largest and, and most cultured like global cities there is. Was that a difficult transition or were you just excited and energized? Oh, interesting. As you're describing it back to me, I can feel in my body the visceral experience, the excitement of that time, which I haven't revisited for a long time. So thank you. You're welcome. Um, it was amazing. Look, I, I joined Arthur Anderson which uh, into their uh, intern program. Uh, so that was part of my auditing training. And you know, two, 300 p- young people in a structured environment with lots of social activities, lots of integration activities, saw loads of businesses, you know, the guts, the, the inner workings of lots of businesses. It was amazing. And of course, Going out and socializing and, and London nightlife in the 90s was incredible. <laughs> yes, uh, I am well aware just from stories I have heard about the nightlife uh, and even growing up here now in New York and remembering nightlife back in the 90s. I am sure there was a lot of uh, good distractions, but I am sure you were working lots of hours. Arthur Anderson, you know, a big six. How was that experience for you at the time? You would think that. Number one, I was a very, I wasn't a, a brilliant auditor. I always felt like I wanted to be closer to the action. I wanted to be, feel like I was part of something that was that affected the future in a more direct way. So I was okay. You know, I passed all the exams and that was fine. But really, I wanted to get closer to to the action, which is why as soon as I and the work was, I think there was, a, in fact, there was a lot of work. But the transition into 
my next role was where the real professional step up took place. And that was, uh, I went from Arthur Anderson into, into M&A, Merchant Acquisitions Advisory Banking at Rothschild in London. Now, my journey in there is, it was interesting. And actually, you know, vis-a-vis this conversation, was quite informative to the development of philosophy of, of business and learning. Why? So firstly, the, 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 the journey in, I was interviewing with quite a few of the bulge bracket, the, the big brand banks at the time in Europe. And then I met the Rothschild crew and they were different from the rest. I met a few of them and they were all different from the rest. And interestingly for me, they were also different from each other. And I'm not your cookie cutter, went to Oxford or Cambridge or, or Durham Business School. And I wasn't cookie cutter. And so I felt like there was a place that I could make mine in that environment. And that was exciting for me. And frankly, on a look back basis, turned out to be one of the best decisions, often in fact, this decision coming to the US, one of the best decisions I've made. You know, it was a supercharged environment. I worked with probably the smartest most talented advisors, bankers that I've come into contact with in my career. And also Rothschild's deal flow was they did more deals than any other in their space in Europe, which meant that my opportunity for learning was immense, both from individuals, but also from situations. So what did I learn? Which decisions are important? How people behave under pressure? What drives uh, decision-making and the underpinnings of motivation? Learned about the, the financial market, uh, about the business structuring and the, the financial underpinnings. It was terrific. Absolutely amazing. It sounds like it was such an incredible, ex- even to where you are today, let's say as CEO of BetMGM, and we'll get there. But it really sounds to me that was a pivotal moment in your career. And that time you spent there really shaped you in terms of a business leader? I think so. Being Having access. One of the, the, the things about where we were at the time was generally speaking, or almost always, you'd come into contact with individuals who were at a pinnacle, a peak moment of their corporate journeys, interacting with CEOs, CFOs, boards, and chairpeople. In terms of leadership characteristics, showing good judgment in times of crisis or opportunity, I mean, that was, I think, really very, very important for me. And also, you know, things like always being accountable, things like why do you get the second deal? You get the second deal and the third deal because you showed your true colors in the first deal. Not only got a good outcome, not the the outcome only, but it's the way you journeyed to that outcome in partnership. And it's those kinds of, of insights that I, I certainly uh, took with me. Yeah, it's really amazing to think of that and taking that with you into your roles after Rothschild. Tell me about going to work at the time, GVC Holdings, now Entain. And what was, obviously, you were a bit ahead of your time, at least when we look at the landscape now. But what, what was it? for you that made you, first off, leave a place like Rothschild and really get into the business of sports betting, gambling? What was it that drove you there? Well, I did a detour 
helping my brother in our family business in Cape Town. You know, the credit crisis came in 2008. There was a the business that he that uh, he runs uh, had its own credit crisis that, and I felt looked looked internally, and I said, look. I have skills that could be helpful. If I'm not helpful in this moment of, of, of need, who am I? Right? And the people at Rothschild were amazing. They said, go on sabbatical, come back when you're ready, we'll find a place for you. So I did. Uh, and then when I came back to, the, to, to London, I, I got headhunted by a client of mine who was then the chief executive of a business which became part of GVC, which was a then challenged business, fantastic brand, but had been undermanaged underinvested. And I thought this was an incredible opportunity for me to go client side, you know, to come to move corporate side and also use some of the skills and relationships that I had developed as an M&A banker to the space. So I started and saw firsthand the outsized impact of a handful of key decisions. And it clicked for me. Businesses are about having the, this is not rocket science, but it clicked for me. Businesses are about having the right people around you. And in our sector, without great tech, you've got nothing. Two other things. Politics is poison, poison. And then the last one was a more interesting, uh, less usual one, which is without clarity on roles and responsibilities and an organizational design which drives accountability, you don't have a chance of success once an organization gets above a certain size. End of. I see why you're a CEO, because those three things, as you mentioned, it's you know super interesting coming from, and I want to ask you about jumping back with the family business and, mm. and entrepreneur, but the three points you just laid out are so accurate whenever I look at a business that's doing well and why it's doing well. Going back, you know, you get the call from your brother. You're on your way. I mean, you're at Rothschild. And it sounds to me like it wasn't even a second thought. You needed to go back and help him. I mean, look, at the end of it all, we look back and we say, what, what do we have to show for this time that we've been privileged to have and to not help family in their time of need. Well, who are you? So it it didn't, I didn't agonize over the decision to go. What was really hard, probably the hard, you know, waking up at half past four in the morning and thinking about all the conversations I've had the day before and trying to synthesize it with where the opportunities were. And that was the easy part. The hard part was when my brother said to me, stay, we can grow a big business, we can have fun doing it, stay. And as you say, you know, my, I had done the hard yards, if that's even a term here, I had done the hard yards in London. And I felt like in terms of the potential of my future, there was greater opportunity elsewhere. And so letting him down then was really, really hard. And I, in fact, we had a, a relevant conversation about this for the first time when I was in London now in, uh, in, in summer. Wow. And how did that go? Just because it's... Tears. Tears. But it was terrific. That's so refreshing too and probably therapeutic because you're put in such a, it's such a difficult situation with family, even friends and working together. And it sounds like it's worked out well for both of you. And I want to jump back to GVC and, and Entain. And I want to talk about your early days there and then get into how BetMGM came about. What was that like for you joining that company at that time. And it seems to me, it must have been just as exciting as like 
when you first moved to London? Or maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> no, no. It's a, so what ultimately became the entity? So let me start in a different place to contextualize. So BetMGM is owned by two shareholders. One is MGM Resorts US Goliath. The other is as you is called Entain PLC which if you go back in time was called GVC. And if you go back further in time, GVC was put together by a series of M&A transactions, okay? One of which, one of those entities was the entity I started that journey in. So started in one of the entities, led a series of M&A, ultimately became part of GVC 2018. So there I am. That journey was, was as I said, the learnings from that period were many of them were things to avoid rather than things to repeat. Comes 2018, the law in the US changes. An ambitious New Jersey-based politician who was actually correct in his legal analysis basically overturned a long-standing federal law called PASPA, which was the federal prohibition, the lockdown on sports gambling in the US. Managed to get that overturned on constitutional grounds, which basically paved the way for states to self-determine as they are constitutionally allowed in relation to our sector. And so we started. And I was appointed in 2018, in October, after having actually done the deal. The deal-making process was fascinating. Where would you like to go? You redirect me. I want, no, because this is fascinating because I wanted to ask you, you worked on this deal, which I, I want to hear about, how it came about, mm -hmm. MGM, obviously, here in the US, everyone knows MGM. It's a Goliath, right? You worked on the actual M&A deal, but then they made you CEO to go run this business. So first, mm -hmm. tell me about how the deal came about. And then secondly, how you were chosen or raised your hand or I'm not, I, I doubt raise your hand because they choose people for these things. <laughs> um, but tell me how that came about. So the, the deal-making process itself was was fascinating. I was, when it was clear that, before it was clear that the law was going to change, I was speed dating all the US, the, the, the big US brands and potential market access partners, because coming from Entain GVC, frankly, they run this business in other parts of the world, right? So what do we get incrementally from a, a US-based partner in exchange for value? How do we turbocharge through the process of joining forces. So ultimately, we found strategic alignment with MGM Resorts. You know, I wrote the term sheet and you know, was, was the, the person negotiating the deal for Intain at the time, which was actually tricky <laughs> you know, after the appointment because I was the Intain guy rather than the guy in the middle that's flying the flag for bed MGM, which absolutely I am. So we negotiated that then. <laughs> I was sitting with Entain's chief executive at a hotel in Las Vegas, where he's loved racing, loves racing, the, the, uh, horse racing. And he's sitting on his bed, a bit weird in your hotel room, a chief exec sitting on his bed in his, <laughs> in his like vest and socks, <laughs> like reading the racing results in the newspaper. I love it. Takes it, peers over and says, uh, Adam, uh, what do you want to do? 
<laughs> so that was the start. That was the start of, uh, of it opened the door to what I wanted to do. And Frank, you know, you talked about the opportunity to run the business. There was no business. There was an idea and a piece of paper and some contracts and that was it, which was the exciting part, actually. Anyway, so then it was the process of, uh, of making the case to my partner that this made sense for us, for our family. And this was my moment or my opportunity to actualize in my career. And yeah, you know, it was also a okay, Adam, you know, enough of this. Now you got to walk the walk. Now can you actually do this? Going back to where we started this conversation, can you swim in the big pot? And what I've found, people have asked me, just as a quick sidebar, is New York like London? How is it different or so? couldn't be more different? And even more broadly, the size of this US market. And I know I'm making an obvious point, but the reality of the size of this US market is staggering. I'm going to give you a data point, a bit of data porn later on that. But my goodness. So I had to convince my wife to leave London and leave her grandpa, grandma, cousins, brother, no brother, sisters. It was hard. Now, direct cost and this imaginary future, right? So you're trading something real for something speculative, which is never an easy uh, trade. But I was so excited. This was, I knew the market is there. The technology works. I have an opportunity to create, to build a business with people that I respect and admire and are smarter than me in a ton of ways. And I can just be me. You know what a privilege that is, honestly. And of course, competitive fire and and relentless truth and you know, all of these other things, which are for me, and going back to where we really started, the values growing up. Why should values in why should home values be different from work values? So let's do that. And when you're starting from scratch, you can do that, which was what a privilege. Anyway, so that we we managed, so I convinced my wife. I didn't have to put a PowerPoint presentation together. It was fine. <laughs> like but I, but I did say, darling, I will respect whatever you choose, but know this. <laughs> if we don't go, there'll always be that nagging question. <laughs> it's so funny. You know, it's so true. And I, I love how it almost was like, your entire career and going back to growing up and, and, you know, being Adam Greenblatt from Cape town. And, and as you said, this was that moment and opportunity to swim with the big fish and going to New York and doing it here, as they say, you know, you do it here, you can do it anywhere. That was, it seems to me where, you either would have said yes, or if you said no, something you may have regretted your entire life, I would imagine. No doubt. I couldn't have said it better. No doubt. Exactly right. More from our guest, but first, a word from our sponsors. Are you a small business owner? Did you know that Visa's online small business hub has tools, discounts, and resources to help you run your business? So whether you're a business beginner or an entrepreneurial expert, find the solutions, tools, and tips you need to help take your business to the next level. Plus, if you have a Visa business credit or debit card, you can get access to cardholder benefits like Visa Savings Edge, a savings program which can help you save on everyday business expenses like office essentials, travel, and more. When you enroll your Visa Business Card and Visa Savings Edge, you'll have access to valuable offers which can help turn qualifying business purchases made with your enrolled Visa Business Card into savings for your business. 
Learn more at visa.com slash small business hub. Once again, that's visa.com slash small business hub. Visa, a network working for everyone. And our next sponsor. As business leaders, our time is pulled in a lot of different directions. Maybe it's managing emails or organizing your calendar or even following up on projects. Saying no to those tasks could help you actually reclaim an average of 15 hours every week to say yes to the things you love. It's time to focus on your strengths and delegate your weaknesses. Belay has been helping busy leaders with their staffing solutions for over a decade. Belay intentionally pairs clients with virtual assistants, accounting, and more. Great leaders don't do anything alone. Find the support you need to delegate the details with Belay. Get the right help now with a virtual assistant from Belay. Text HSH to 55123 to get $300 off your startup fee for a virtual assistance when you schedule a call before August 31st. That's HSH to 55123 to save $300 and reclaim 15 hours every week. And we're back. Tell me then, because you go from London, which you love, and it seems like your wife loves and family, and you come to New York City. And it's interesting because like you said, couldn't be different. A lot of people think it's it's the same. What was the biggest differences when you got here? And tell me what happened, but then being in London and and did you get the same energy from the city? I know you did from the job. Interesting. So I don't think there is there is anywhere which has the same energy of the city. And what was quite straight, we arrived here August 19 and a handful of months later, August 19, and I'm like, holy moly, this is going at a thousand miles an hour. This is amazing. And we're in that infancy of the business trying to find people and hire and no systems and everything's chaos, but awesome. And then COVID starts. Take the rule book, tear up the rule book, and let's see what happens. And so, then, you know, as, as you see me now, I was in a different apartment. That, that became our reality. And I remember speaking, we had a, we used the Teams platform. We had two weeks beforehand implemented the Teams platform, three weeks. And I got everybody in the business on the call. At that stage, it was maybe 135 people on the call together. And I said, look, I don't know what's happening next. I don't, nobody knows what's happening next. Maybe we'll be out for a few weeks, a couple of months. Don't know. But we will succeed or fail based on two things. Clarity of purpose, stick together. So we spoke every day. We spoke every day for six months on the Teams platform. We had, we, and in fact, we have uh, something we call Daily Dose, which still exists today, which was, which became the cornerstone of how culture is disseminated, priorities are communicated, communication disciplines, and the way we go about doing things becomes clear. It's been great. For, it's been great for our business. So we went from a business which was at that stage 135 people to today globally we're 2,100. Wow! And this has happened during COVID. How going from a business that side, which could be considered a medium-sized business, to where you are today with all of states opening up and you guys just knowing the industry have done extremely well. 
How has that been for you as a leader managing? And have you had to change it all going from 100 people to 2,000? And, and, you know, we're, we're only talking a few years. Was that difficult? And how'd you handle that? Very difficult for me personally. Like at the beginning, everything mattered. And it still matters. But everything mattered for me personally. I knew every moving part. I knew every person by name. I knew how people, what was going on in people's families. I knew what the issue was in our geolocation software in one of the states. Maybe still know that. But <laughs> the transition for me was, by definition, because the business was scaling as it was and there were just becoming so many moving parts, was becoming more distant and re- from more detailed uh, moving parts and relying on people around me, you know, that, that separation and the, the reality of a growing management uh, infrastructure, more systems-driven, more process-driven organization, that's been, that worked for me personally, that was, a, that, that was a big transition to make. And actually for the business, we are going through an incredible growth spurt, if you like. Growth spurt, not in terms of number, of course, we're growing in number, we've got loads, loads of states coming on, uh, new states uh, to open in, in the coming 6-12 months, which we can talk about, but a growth spurt in the sophistication of the way we approach the work we do every day. Much deeper integration of our data science. We've got, our environment is so data rich. We know, we have to know every single player, exactly where they are, when they bet, exactly time of bet, what they bet on, what the price they took, where the market price was at the time, number of losers, number of winners. All of this forms the the fabric of opportunity. And so what we're doing is not only getting much, much cleverer in how we look and analyze and do something with the data, but the operationalizing, the doing something with the data and that whole end-to-end process of getting Smart about player, driving personalization, driving really reduction of wastage. So every investment counts. And that's that's the the, the journey we've been on. Sorry, that was a bit of a sidebar, but I, it's- no, no, I, I, I loved it. And I think that brings up a, a question in terms of the growth you've seen. And we know here in the U.S., it's only a matter of time and Canada where states and provinces are opening up and going to afford this space, mega opportunity. How have you been? Because as I said, I've watched this space, seen it, and you've seen some companies kind of going downhill. And you guys have definitely been ones that you see more and more. You know, they're, they're, the name is getting a bit like to the top. But for you as the CEO... What do you see as the biggest opportunities as these states open up? So to to pick up a couple of the points that you made, just to embellish a, a little bit. So the market opportunity we believe to be immense. And what does that actually mean in, in practical terms? We look at this in three big buckets. U.S. is two of those, U.S. sports betting, U.S. iGaming, and then Canada. Because for BetMGM, that is, according to our joint venture agreement, that is our addressable market. Now, between those, you know, we're looking at close to what, 35, somewhere between 35 and $40 billion of, of uh, gross gaming revenue. So enormous. We anticipate, and in fact, not anticipate, at the moment, BetMGM, from having come from, having come from nowhere, is achieving 21% market share in our active states. 
and we want to be everywhere. So if I say top-down, huge market, we want to be a podium player, if not the first. We That is our ambition. But over iGaming and sports betting, we want to be number one in North America in our addressable market, All right? And so that's that's the, the the top line down to revenue. And so what in terms of EBITDA margin, profit margins, we're anticipating somewhere between 30 to 35% at maturity. So in terms of the, the the potential of this business, it's immense. You know, we're talking many billions of dollars. Oh, yeah. And it's just incredible, too, as people in this country have been waiting for this for... It's obviously was different in Europe, but years and years, I mean, in terms of the opportunity. And it's incredible, just like you said, from technology standpoint to what you've created and the ease of being able to put in on the sports betting side bets. And and just do you look at the technology and apps you're using? And do you see changes and lots of changes in the coming years just from a tech standpoint? Yes. In fact, we we get our tech from the entane side of the house. And so we work very, very closely with them in terms of the product development roadmap. So we, within BetMGM, we have our own design team that really sets the agenda for what's relevant and best for our, for our local market. And then we work hand in glove with them to schedule, prioritize, make sure we deliver. In fact, last couple of weeks, we've just uh, rolled out a new design, a new front end redesign for, for the BetMGM app. Now, in terms of what's coming next, absolutely. We are very focused on how technology enables uh, more live betting, more parlay betting. You know, we've we've seen tremendous growth of our one-game parlay product, which is, which allows our players to bet more than one thing in a single event. So Buck's going to win overall with totals over X, putting those two things together, although and more. So technology allows us to expand product, be creative in terms of the product, the kind of wagering opportunities that are available on the iGaming side, which is we for, for us as the, the number one by far operator of, of iGaming in, in the US, particularly exciting. We have 31% market share, we believe. We are really leaning into live in iGaming. We have through MGM Resorts, they produce live gaming content every day in all of their properties. So really harnessing that for for, for a digital uh, consumer is an exciting opportunity that, that we, we are exploring. So more live in sports betting, more live in iGaming, digitizing that. The other area in which, which we lean into particularly technology enabled is the whole omni-channel experience. So imagine, well, MGM Resorts host 7 million unique visitors, unique guests on an annual basis. We want all of those those uh, guests to be BetMGM players. So you imagine that from the, the moment of booking a hotel room all the way through the airline journey to landing at, in Harry Reid Airport, to ch- the checking in experience, to earning loyalty points for things both in a digital environment and a physical environment and synthesize, you know, can I ha- have my digital device in a physical environment and how do those things come to life in, in a fresh new way? Those are the things that we're leaning on. When you were putting the deal together, going back to when you were at 
GVC at the time and mm. putting this deal together. Did you even realize all the opportunities for collaboration? And like the one you just told me is genius for when people are checking. I didn't even think of that. But were you and the team well aware of kind of the significant opportunities this would present you? Robert, I'll show you our deck to the Mtain. Uh, then entain board of directors, which you know had all the the investment thesis set out, you know the the, the one or two pager, and this was definitely part of the, the the thinking. Absolutely, yeah, it's unbelievable just thinking about it from seeing that vision for you now and and moving forward. What is it that most excites you about the entire industry and your business? And then on the flip side, tell me, what is it that you know there might be challenges ahead? Yeah, I'm excited about getting to number one. That's the competitive me. But that's the what. The how is what I'm equally excited about. You know, we were last year, and you talk about swimming in the big pond. I talk, you know, last year we were recognized by Glassdoor, which is, I don't know if you... Yeah, sure. Glassdoor rates every business and it just in terms of employees and exactly. satisfaction and exactly. So last year we were we came we were not we were recognized as the twentieth best place to work in America by Glassdoor wow. for all companies up to a thousand employees of which there are over three hundred thousand. That's incredible. In incredible. I was like, what? Did this just happen? And then to go further, in New York this year, so we were, in fact, a couple of months ago, New York, great places to work. It's a fortune. It's a, one of these awards where basically also recognizing employee satisfaction. It's the broadest based survey of UK, oh, sorry, of, of US companies, over a million respondents. And we were placed 56th. Wow. Now, why is this important? Because going back to this, the, the, the touchy-feely stuff of, how, of our journey in life and how people feel, we spend, and we know this, we spend more time at work than anywhere else. And particularly now in COVID world where the separation yeah. of work and life, it's more nebulous, it's less clear. And for me, offering our people a great experience of work and life, I mean, that's that's... That's the part. I'm equally excited about that. We have something really special and people are feeding back that that's, that's how they feel. And so that makes me proud. You know, it sounds like that from going into Rothschild and seeing everyone was kind of different, unique. You were at ahead of the curve in terms of, I'm sure that's why you're seeing so much satisfaction about employee well-being, just in taking care of employees. And especially the bulk having to do it during COVID, which is extremely difficult, but it seems from internally from you, maybe it started with your father and watching and learning, and then really a place like Rothschild, where it wasn't everyone who graduated Oxford or Harvard or whatever it may have been, but you've brought in incredible people who are committed. 100% committed, but it, it's, I think this is what contemporary employees, employees today want to feel like they are heard, to show up in their authentic... This is what we want. You can show up in your authentic way, right? I show up as me. Robert, you show up as you. We are different from each other. But you know what? I respect you and you respect me in this place for all of us. And totally selfishly on my part, because it is where it's from that space that both of us do our best work. Kind of simple. Yeah. Challenges ahead that keep you... Yeah. Up at night, except for your kids. 
<laughs> kids, are, kids are the most challenging. I guess you don't have to worry about keeping up. <laughs> but when you are up, any challenges you force? I mean, this business, this industry, your company has taken off, but there's there's always challenges, right? Mm-hmm. What is it that you foresee and plan for ahead of yeah. time? So look, we've got, at the moment, demand side remains robust, but we are looking at a more adverse consumer outlook. And our industry, our sectors never faced it in the the US. So that for me is macro risk. What can I do about it? Uh, not much. Historically, I would say that our industry has been pretty resilient. Consumer has, has been less beated, if you like, than, 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 than others. So I worry about that, but uh, that is kind of what it is. Competition, of course, is, is fierce. We have, you, know, you talked, we, I talked a little bit about New York versus London. What in the US, not only is size of market are just overwhelming, the intensity with which capital pursues opportunity I've never seen before. Not anywhere. And I've worked globally, not anywhere. The key battlegrounds are product. And of course, you know, I've talked about our relationship with Entain, making sure that our product, our development velocity can keep up and exceed those of our competitors for whom this capital that I talked about is just so intense and and not unconstrained anymore. We can talk about that in a moment, but we need to stay ahead and from a, a product perspective, and that that is that is definitely a, a concern and a focus. Macro again, tax and regulation. You know that you you will have read if you you know as a as a follower of the sector of the industry, we some states have gone with very very high tax rates and are, are trumpeting their early success of those tax rates, and other states are looking at this going. Well, why don't we do that? Where the reality is, that means that the black market continues to thrive, which means that all the benefits of regulation, so looking after our players, responsible gambling are foregone. When you accept that reality, then you know finding something, a, a workable tax rate that is conducive to a healthy operating environment, that's where we, we should end up. And responsible gambling is the other one. You know, responsible gaming, it's one of our strategic pillars. You know, for me, this is about the sustainability of our industry. Yeah, We need to look after our players. We need to show a sincere willingness to make sure that we look after players who need more support through the use of product, marketing, communication. Right? Otherwise, like is, is happening in many European countries, the political backlash can be severe and you know the pendulum swings too far. And the impact of that, of course, is threatening to our TAM, threatens our addressable market, which becomes existential. So we got to, We have to get this right. We will get this right. But MGM is a leader in this in in this regard. Yeah. But I do worry about it. I have no doubt. Just in terms of what you've done, it's pretty incredible. Going from where you are, and again, the business really starting up as an entrepreneurial. It you really started. It wasn't from years ago. Some of the other companies in the space. You really just formed this. You go from a hundred employees to two thousand. During COVID, I would be fair to say Adam Greenblatt from Cape Town is definitely now swimming in the big (laughs) pond with other big fish, but it seems to me that you're really enjoying it. And I could feel the the energy and excitement of this industry and and what you've done. Is that your day-to-day when when you get enough sleep from uh, the the kids? (laughs) Without question, yes. Without question, yes, we're, we're 
as I said to you, we're, I mean, we we have created something that's very, I think, is very special. It's certainly not something I've experienced in in my career, and I'm just grateful to be working with such Maltzi as well. But you know, really grateful to be working with just exceptionally talented, good human beings around me. Yeah. You know, this is my experience of life. Yeah, uh, isn't that what everybody wants? Yeah, it definitely is. Well, best of luck. It's incredible what you built. I love the story of how you came from actually doing the deal and then becoming the CEO. Uh, very few times uh, I've heard of, especially with the success you've had. And just wish you continued success and hoping your partner at this point is okay with New York. Uh, I think you've proven yourself. So hopefully you'll stay here for a bit. You can't get rid of us that easily. We're not going anywhere. Bro. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thanks, Adam. And that's our episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to How Success Happens wherever you get your podcasts. We come out with a new episode every Wednesday morning, and you don't want to miss it. And if you like to share, please feel free to pass along the show to an entrepreneur friend who could use a boost, and I could always use the subscribers. And do you have ideas for guests? I always love to hear about great entrepreneurs. If you know anyone, shoot me an email at hsh at entrepreneur.com or on Twitter at Robert Tuckman, that's R-O-B-E-R-T-T-U-C-H-M-A-N, or even send me a message on LinkedIn. How Success Happens is a production of Entrepreneur Media. Be sure to visit entrepreneur.com for insight on building your business, or even better yet, subscribe to our magazine. No joke, I found my first job after reading about a company in Entrepreneur Magazine back in the 1990s. It's always been my absolute favorite magazine for entrepreneurs. Thanks for listening and spending some time with me today. Until next time, my name is Robert Tuckman, just a fellow entrepreneur and your host. See you soon.